For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to The Rock Podcast. Second Kings is a rather sobering account of how a divided nation of God's chosen people worked their way out of the promised land through the rebellion and unbelief. Here in chapter 15, we find ourselves at the end of the road. Assyria is moving in, and the Jews of the northern kingdom are moving out. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Countdown to Disaster. Now, Heavenly Father, as we open before us, your word, the written word of God, let us always be mindful of the living word of God, Jesus Christ, who is with us by the powerful Holy Spirit, who is sent to indwell believers. And so, Father, do your work in us, open up our hearts, our understanding to your wonderful word, and let that still small voice speak to us life and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so here we are in 2 Kings chapter 14, and in a way, you could nickname uh, the book of 2 Kings as Countdown to Disaster. Now, how many of you saw the ball drop on New Year's Eve? From Did you watch that? So yeah, quite a few of you. Well, you know, as we're going down the list of the kings here in 2 Kings, we, we know that it's going to end terribly. Let me remind you with the char- uh, chart. All right, so things were going very well for Israel under King David and his son Solomon. In fact, there were great promises, of course, to David and Solomon, and David and Solomon are one and two under a, a united Israel up here. All right, so it's David and his son Solomon. And so it was simple. Solomon, three times the Lord appeared to Solomon and he said, just walk with me. You know, you don't have to be perfect. Just walk with me. Trust me. Walk in my ways, and I will bless you. And he did not. And he had a thing for women. And he traded a thing for women for his relationship, really, with the Lord. And that's always a bad deal when you trade anything. Uh, but his was, he had a hang-up there, and that cost him. So it went from Solomon to Jeroboam. So civil war started with Solomon uh, losing the kingdom and having it torn away from him. Uh, Jeroboam was a co-worker of his, and and the Lord told Jeroboam, listen, behave, walk with me, and guess what? I'll turn you into the next David. I'll give you all these promises. And so what's happening there, you know, so we have a divided Israel now. So uh, Solomon's son here, we have one dynasty all the way down until the Lord Jesus Christ. So here was the punishment. The punishment was a divided kingdom because Israel kept following in the evil ways of guys like Jeroboam. And so the, prom- the promise was, listen, I'm going to save the two southern states called Judah, and I'm going to make these David's relatives all the way down to Jesus That was the promise. One dynasty. Dynasty means family. So all these guys are all blood related to King David. These guys, every crown is a different family. All right? So there are 20 20 wicked kings in the north that make up 10 states. So these are 10 states. These are two states. Right? These guys at least have eight out of 20 behave and walk with the Lord. So they're, they're blessed. But the countdown to disaster is because at the end of these 20 kings, and we're going to see it happen tonight because we're going to get to uh, Pekka, King Pekka, or however you want to call his name. We're going to get down there. We're going to leave one uh, for later. But essentially, 722 years BC, you've got Assyria coming in, and they take Israel from the promised land. The north falls at 722. The south will hang on 136 years more. But then they are taken away from by the Babylonians, who are modern-day Iraqis, all right? So the Assyrians, who take these guys away, 
are modern-day Syria, um, Turkey, Iraq, and Iran. It's just kind of a wedge that envelops that area as a Syria. All right, and so uh, God gave them warning, adequate warning. And so just to remind you, back when he busted the, the Jews out of Egypt and out of bondage of sin... Uh, called the Exodus, right? There were 10 fiascos in the wilderness. And uh, uh, the 10th fiasco, as we talked about on Sunday, happened right before they went into the promised land. They sent the 12 spies out. 10 came back with a negative report. Oh, the guys are so huge. We're like grasshoppers. We're never gonna do it. But after they saw the 10 plagues, pillar of fire, glorious cloud following them, manna, parting of the Red Sea, all of these miracles, then number 10, they said, no, we want to go back. We're going to kill Moses. We're going to get another leader, and we're going back. And the Lord said, that's it. 600,000 of you barred from entry, 40 years of wandering. I have a little cartoon slide, and that's what happened to 600. You know, normally it should have taken them about three to four months to get to Canaan, uh, but it took 40 years. Uh, And that's saying a lot about their lack of cooperation with the Lord. Now, listen, after the 40 years, the Lord says, okay, you're going in. The the wives, the daughters, the sons, they're going to go in. But here's what he says uh, in Deuteronomy 4, right before they go in. We have it for you. After you've had children and grandchildren and have lived in this land a long time, if then you become corrupt, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witness against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you're crossing, uh, you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You'll not live there long, but you will certainly be destroyed. Yeah, you're going in, just want to let you know that if you think you can go in and have your cake and eat it too and worship all the other gods, uh, it's not going to happen because the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. And so he's already told them, look, I'm going to give you this promise. Uh, walk with me. If you don't walk with me, you're going to forfeit the promise. Right, And so uh, we, we, we've been seeing that happen here. So after a long time, thank you for that slide. After a long time, your, even your, your grandchildren, your children, after a long time, 500 years have passed. Now it's the time of David. And David, it's been 500 years since the Lord said, hey, behave yourself in the promised land or, or you'll forfeit it. So David is writing Psalm 95, which we read this Uh, last Sunday and this evening. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. It's one of the 10 fiascos. As you did that day at Massa in the desert, another one, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I had done. That's the hard part when you sin against light. You, you, You saw the miracles and yet you did it anyway. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. There are people whose hearts are always going astray. They don't know my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. David said to the Israelites who are, go back to the chart. David's up here. David sings Psalm 95 to them because he's smelling something. He's smelling among the Israelites a little itch to rebel. And he's seeing, hey, you guys, listen up. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, as you all, our ancestors, did 500 years ago, because there's a promise, it's conditional. It's a conditional promise. You want to enjoy the fullness of God's promise? You can't bite the hand that feeds and expect God to keep on pouring out a blessing in that regard. And so he's up here singing Psalm 95, and they don't listen. So what happens? This happens. And and now we're hearing disaster after disaster after disaster after disaster. Why? Because they didn't listen to Psalm 95. Israel down to 722, Judah, down to 586. Countdown to disaster. Why? Because they didn't listen. Second Kings is therefore the sad record of Israel's refusal to heed God's word. Now, the amazing thing is 
that the second half of Deuteronomy 4, when he said, listen, do not mess up in the promised land, right? Here's the second half of it, or, or I'll scatter you. The second half is, but when you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, that you reap the consequences of your dumb behavior, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is merciful. He's not going to abandon you or destroy you or forget the promise with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. So the amazing thing is that even though he's going to take them, can you go back to the chart again? He's going to take all of the 10 tribes away, gone. Not a Jew left. All of these guys too, gone, not a Jew left. By the end, by 586, there's no Jews there. But guess what happens? Uh, I hope I have that one too. Do I have the next slide? Next slide. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations, proclaim this. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. Next slide. Who has ever seen or heard of anything as strange as this? Has a nation ever been born in a single day as a country? Isaiah is saying this 700 years before Christ. Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? But by the time Jerusalem's birth pains begin, the baby will be born. The, na uh, the nation will come forth. So here's what, what, what is happening. 722, the north is gone. 586, the south is gone. You don't have any Jews. He says, surely in 70 years, some of the Jews trickle back. Thank you for that slide. Some of the Jews trickle back in 70 years from the south. The 10 tribes are gone forever. That's why they're called the lost 10 tribes. So when you get down to the bottom of Israel's long list, they're gone, all right? And so the first trickle came 70 years. They rebuilt under Ezra and Nehemiah, right? But then what happened in 80s? Well, of course they had to come back because we needed Joseph and Mary to be back. If there wasn't a little bit of people seeping back into Israel, we wouldn't have Mary there. We wouldn't have Joseph. Even though Joseph wasn't involved, he was still legally involved and still related to David in the promise. Well, so where does it go from there? Well, it goes from there is that can a nation be born in a day? 1948, May 8th. In the 1800s, 1,800 years of no Jews there because they were taken out. Follow the list. From then, when they're gone, they're gone. After AD 70, Jesus said, not one stone will be left on another in the temple. So the temple was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70, and no Jews lived there anymore for 1,900 Years, the 1800s from persecution from Russia, they started to trickle back to Israel. At 1800s, the early 1900s, and then in one day, boom, they were declared they're back. How's that possible? Because what did Jesus say? I will regather them. He who scatters you shall regather. And so we are living in a day where we're seeing a modern day miracle that the Jews out of 1,900 years are now back in a state that was born in one day. Isaiah, said, Isaiah nailed it, you know, and so there it is. So what's next for Israel? What comes next? And uh, let me answer the question for you since nobody's telling me the answer. Slide uh, Romans 11. Paul says, okay, the Jews are persecuting the Christians. Now when the gospel's going out, Jesus has died, rose again from the dead, the Holy Spirit's come, and now we have a church. Paul says in Romans 11, so, is the, so what up with the Jews? Are, is God done with them? He says, let me tell you. I want you to understand the mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you won't feel arrogant because the Gentiles were saying, hey, the Jews are done. Wait, it's all about the church. So he says, don't boast. Some of the Jews have had hard hearts, but this will only last until the complete number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. Do you remember what the prophet said about this? 
A deliverer will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel from all ungodliness. And then I will keep my covenant with them and take away their sins. This is New Testament. The Jews are still his chosen people because of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. So this is what happens. When the last non-Jewish person when the last person gets saved, that God has a number in his head, when that person comes to Christ, the church is removed, and then God starts dealing with, guess who? Israel. The last seven years on planet Earth is all about Israel and Jerusalem, and it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah 30 says that. It's Jacob's trouble. Jacob's another word for Israel. And so the whole world will be all about destroying Israel. At the end of the seven years, Armageddon happens. Christ appears, Romans 11, and all Israel looks to Jesus and they're saved. Bang, the promise. I will never turn my back on the promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're right at the end getting ready to see all of that happen from a very high perspective <laughs> from heaven to watch that. Now, do you feel caught up? I told my wife tonight, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm welcoming you tonight to a conference on Israel. <laughs> and she laughed and she said, don't overdo it. <laughs> all right, so here, here we go. Um, now, let me show you tonight at the end Yes, very good. You're thinking ahead. Uh, <laughs> chapter 14 ends with King 1. And then chapter 15 goes King 2, King 3, King 4, King 5, King 6, King 7. Lord willing, I just want to read their, qu their quick little paragraphs. Not going to lie, I want to get through 2 Kings. I really do. I want to get to Ezra. Ezra is a, is a first and second chronicles repeats this whole story. So we're going to go to Ezra, where after they get exiled, a group comes back miraculously to rebuild. And that's where I want to head. So let, let's do work. Let's just read these paragraphs. I'll make a few comments, and then we'll get through at least uh, to the end of Israel as we know them there. All right? Does that sound good? Ready? Verse 23, in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of jo jo uh, Jehoash, king of Israel, became king of Samaria, which is Israel. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, his namesake. Few, many kings ago, the first, the first guy, Jeroboam, son, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah. This is our Jonah, uh, Jonah and the big Fish, the whale, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. The Lord has seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, that's just what we've been talking about, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. As for the other events of Jeroboam's reign, all he did and his military achievements, including how he recovered for Israel both Damascus and Syria and Hamath, which had belonged to Yaudi, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the kings of Israel, and Zechariah, his son, not the prophet, succeeded him as king. All right, so if you're taking notes... Uh, this first king, we've got seven kings to look at. King number one, uh, a king who continues an evil legacy, like father, like son. So this is Jeroboam II. Here's his namesake. 
This is the first dude who split the kingdom. God gave him the kingdom and he said, uh, listen, walk with me like David did and I'll give you Israel and the desires of your heart. Instead of doing that, he sinned against the Lord and he, this guy, is credited for all of this. Every time you hear one of these guys, it says he walked in the ways of his father, even when we're down to here, his father, Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Why do we always hear son of Nebat? Because Jeroboam the first father is partly responsible for raising this kid to grow up to the king that stumbles all of Israel. What a legacy. And this dude here, first king that we're talking about tonight, is his namesake, and he lives up to his namesake because he sins just like that. Now, observe in this paragraph, observe the mercy of God. I mean, absolutely, verse 26 is like Romans 11 that we just looked at. Verse 26, it's a promise is a promise. He said, okay, listen, they're suffering, they're crying out, I felt sorry for them, and I saved them through an evil king. So through this Jeroboam II, the Lord does mighty things. In your text, you have restored boundaries. You have the king's accomplishments uh, listed, and you have military dominance. All good things through an evil king because his people started to cry out to him. And he said, I'm merciful. And he said, because I promised not to blot out your name, that I have a covenant that's not dependent so much on your behavior as on my mercy then I will continue to help you and restore you. So uh, God uses a wicked king to bless his suffering people. Really, the motto here is God's people fall short, but God remains faithful. Um, if you're interested and if you're a note taker, you want to know the prophets who are prophesying right now are Joel, Hosea, and Amos to Israel, and Isaiah and Micah are working in Judah. All right? And so second king on the list. So it's chapter uh, 25, right? Verse one, I mean 15, my bad. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old. Now he's going to be the, the best king outside of David right now. And the only reason there's a good king is because it's on the side of David's side, because there are eight good ones. This guy's a very famous king. He was 16 when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. Wow. His mother's name, Jechaliah, she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. The Lord afflicted the king with leprosy until the day he died, and he lived in a separate house. Jotham, the king's son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. As for the other events of Azariah's reign, all they did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? By the way, of course, we don't have those books. We just have First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings. Verse 7, Azariah rested with his fathers and was buried near them in the city of David, which is Jerusalem. Uh, and Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. So number two, our second king in the list, a king who keeps sinning. Uh, uh, first of all, the first guy was the first king who keeps sinning. And the second one now is a king who has had help until he becomes strong. A king who was helped until he became strong. Now, this king, Azariah, is better known as Uzziah. Now, Uzziah, you know that famous scripture in Isaiah chapter 6 where it says, In the year of the reign of King Uzziah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And this is the Uzziah uh, of that famous Isaiah passage in uh, chapter 6. Uh, so, uh, Azariah, his, his legal name means God is my strength. And Uzziah, uh, the name that he goes by is God has helped me. Now, 
in this summary paragraph, even though he was a great king, you, you don't see all his accomplishments, just his slip up at the end uh, with the leprosy. And we're gonna talk about that in a second here. Uh, but here's what happened. He had such a great reign and God had blessed him so much uh, that it went to his head and he got bigger than his britches. And here's what happened. Um, I like what one uh, commentator said. Great earthly success is seldom well-managed to spiritual benefit. And that's what happened with this guy. Um, if you're interested in the details of Uzziah's life, uh, 2 Chronicles 26. Uh, he gets the throne at 16. He's like King David, his forefather. David was that kind of guy at 16. I mean, he wasn't much older when he, when he slew Goliath. Um, he reigns 52 years. Uh, the prophet is Zechariah, who is prophesying at this time. Um, uh, he leads uh, the Israelites to conquer the Philistines. Uh, Uzziah has international fame as a strong ruler. He's ambitious in building, and he's a skilled military man. What went wrong? Well, at the end of his reign, uh, 2 Chronicles 26 tells us the story. Here's what happened to him. In Jerusalem, he made machines, this is Uzziah, Azariah, designed by skillful men for the use on towers and on corner defenses to shoot arrows, hurl large stones. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. He was greatly helped by God until he became strong. But after Uzziah became strong, his pride led him to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord as God. He enters the temple, here's what he did, to burn incense on the altar of incense. Oh, that's a no-no. There are certain people only who have to do that, right? Azariah, who's Uzziah. Uh, Azariah the priest, whoops, I'm sorry. There's a lot of similar names. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted him. They said, it's not right, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That's for the priests. The descendants of Aaron, you have to be a descendant of Aaron and to be consecrated to burn the incense. Leave the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. So the priests are all standing there. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn the incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense, incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. That's a bad sign. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried out, hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and excluded from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land, and we, which we had already heard. Wow. You know, uh, what happened there is, is that he just, you know, here, here's what it is. When you get your perspective and the way you see yourself and your job description um, mixed up with God's, then you're going to have a problem. And God has to show you who's on the throne, who is really God, and who is not. And that can be a very painful and humiliating and, and very uh, awful experience. But you know, let me tell you this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. Every, for all God's people, when they need a spanking, the spanking is always redemptive. It's not like, I'm going to kill you with leprosy now. It's, I'm going to help you get from your high and lifted up position that is so dangerous and so wrong, I'm going to help you down to the humble place that you should be. And the leprosy in this case was a blessing to him. As Paul said, a terrible demonic thing has been sent my way. Three times I asked the Lord, please take it away. And the Lord said, Paul, you need this. He said, hey, and I know why I needed it because I have great revelations from God. I've written 13 New Testament books. I've been to heaven. 
They stoned me and they killed me and I I saw things that I can't even tell you about in heaven. Of course, I have to have this cross to bear because it keeps me grounded. So the Lord said, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, you know, and I delight in it. I've learned to like my cross because in my weakness, he is made strong. Therefore, I delight in all of this uh, distress because it's making uh, God be more glorified. All right, back to the wicked kings. We've got five in a row here. Second Kings, right? That's where we're at. Good. Second Kings 15, 8 through 12. Zechariah, king of Israel. Verse 8. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, not the prophet, son of Jeroboam, became king in Israel in Samaria, the capital, and he reigned six months. <laughs> not very long. I mean, the last guy was 51 years. <laughs> he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Well, this is in, in the north now. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his fathers had done. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. There he is again, son of Nebat, number one on the list, which he had caused Israel to commit. Shalom, son of Jabesh, conspired against Zechariah. He attacked him in front of the people, assassinated him, and succeeded him as king. The other events in Zechariah's reign are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. So the word of the Lord spoken to Jehu was fulfilled. Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So if you want to take a look at the chart again, you'll see Jehu. Jehu was told, listen, because of your evilness, your dynasty will only last four generations. And so... That's amazing to me that a prophet could walk up to him and say, you've got four generations. And of course, nailed it. You know, four generations later, his great-great-grandson, who's on the throne for a few days, gets assassinated. And, and it just, how, did, how does that happen? I mean, God just knows everything. And it's amazing. And so uh, after the death of his evil father, Jeroboam II, there's a 10-year interval of a lot of chaos and anarchy. But the son, Zechariah, gets the throne for six months. Uh, and because Shalem wants it for himself, there's a coup. And now time for a new dynasty. And so this guy just, even though he's only reigning for 30 days, this guy wants the throne and he kills him. And he, he takes the throne now. So the model for this king if God keeps his promises to his enemies, what about to his friends? He keeps those promises to Jehu, who is evil. How about to us? All right. Uh, next, how does this assassin, uh, assassin and usurper fare as king? Shalem becomes king. So he knocks off the true king, and now he takes the throne. Let's see how he does. Shalem, son of Jabesh, verse 13 became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned in Samaria one month. <laughs> I don't think it was worth it. All right, 30 days. Then Menahem, son of Gad, went from Tizra up to Samaria. He, he attacked Shalem in Samaria and assassinated him and succeeded him as king. The other events of Shalem's reign and the conspiracy he led are written in the book of the annals of the king of, kings of Israel. At that time, Menahem started out from Tirzah, attacked Tifshah and everyone in the city and, his, and its vicinity because they refused to open the gates. He sacked Tifshah and ripped open all the pregnant women. Now, you're going to see, as we get down the list, closer and closer to where God says, out all of you, and bring it in Assyria, and we're vacating the promised land because I've had it with you people. Do you, do, you, do you see why? So as the closer you get to here, 
you're going to hear more and more of this crazy one king killing the next king and he gets 30 days and then the next guy kills him and gets on the throne and he gets three months and the next guy kills and this guy wants it so bad that he's doing unspeakable things. And the word of God says, just nails him and says, this is the kind of guy, this is the kind of stuff that he did and it, and it nails it right there. Just terrible. So, uh, what goes around, the lesson here is what goes around comes around. Uh, that's Galatians 6 and verse 7. If you plant murder and assassination, if you sow murder and assassination and usurping of authority, then up comes the plant that will produce a harvest and you shall harvest something of death and destruction. Proverbs 26 verse 27, uh, verse 27 says, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. You know what I like, though, about this? It works in reverse, too. So when you sow something good and kind and a sacrifice and loving, that grows up, and there's a blessing that you harvest there of peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Uh, but these guys know nothing about that. So... Um, so, so Shalem killed to acquire the throne, right? But after 30 days, this dude named Menahem kills Shalem and grabs the throne. So he's going to be the next uh, king on the list. Clearly, there's blood in the water in a feeding frenzy. <laughs> you, you know, the sharks are fighting for dominance here. James 3.16 came to mind. I just wrote it down. It says, um, it says where you have selfish ambition... There you will find chaos and every evil practice. Where you have selfish ambition, me, me, me. There you will find chaos and every, every evil practice. So watch out for the unholy trinity, as I like to call it, right? Me, myself, and I. <laughs> it's really, really scary. Now, uh, Regarding Menahem's actions here in verse 16 of his unspeakable evil, just saying, here's the guy who assassinated the king to, to become king. And here's what he did. You know, he's the kind of guy in the coup d'etat that he was throwing. One city said, no, you're not getting in here, Menahem. So when he did bust through the gates, it tells you what he did to take revenge. Now, Jesus hints that there are levels of condemnation and hell. I, if there are, let's say there are seven layers of basement floors to hell, just let me assure you that Menahem, if he did not repent, is on B7, basement <laughs> seven. Because you can't do those kinds of things and, and not be at the bottom level. And so, you know, We'll find out about all these things. Let's see how he reigned. Menahem, king of Israel, 17 through 22. In the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, son of Gadi, uh, became king of Israel, and he, and he reigned in Samaria 10 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Surprise. During his entire reign, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Then, here we go, the beginning of the end. Say goodbye to Israel. This is the dude who's going to take them away. Pulking of Assyria invaded the land, and Menahem gave him 37 tons of silver to gain his support and strengthen his own hold on the kingdom. Menahem exacted this money from Israel. Every wealthy man had to contribute one and a quarter pound of silver to be given to the king of Assyria. I went ahead and converted that for you. So the king of Assyria withdrew and stayed in the land no longer. As for the other events of Menahem's reign and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of the annals of the king of Israel, kings of Israel? Menahem rested with his fathers at Pekahiah, his son succeeded him as king. So the fifth king on the list for tonight, a king who bribes his way along. So we're getting close to the end. 
We're at Menahem. We've got three kings left. This is about 40 years. We're 40 years out of Israel being destroyed completely. Uh, and Assyria is God's rod to do it. Now, Assyria comes calling in verse 19. And to keep the notice why he gives him money. So king of Assyria is made up of like a larger area. So there, Assyria is very strong. He comes in. He can't stand against them. So he says to him, can I interest you in 37 tons of silver uh, so that you would make a U-turn and leave? And the guy says, yeah. Now, Proverbs uh, 17 says, a bribe seems to work like magic for those who give it. They succeed in all that they do temporarily. Seems like it worked, right? So here's, here's what Menahem does. Uh, he exacts a tax from the Israelites so that he needs one and a quarter pound of silver from 60,000 Jews. And he gets his money because you're going to pay the tax or guess what? This is the dude to the pregnant women, right? So you're going to pay up. So they paid up. And he took the cartloads and the chariots and the donkeys filled with their money to secure his own throne. He didn't even want to save Israel. He didn't say, hey, guys, maybe if we, we all shared our money, pulled our resources, we could get this guy out of here. We could save our, our Israel. No, no, no. Oh, it's all for him. It's all about him. Uh, so thus, uh, here, uh, I love Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 7. Extortion turns wise people into fools and bribes corrupt the heart. That's exactly what he did. The two things he did. He exhorted and he used a bribe. And it says that he is now a corrupt fool, right? So the, uh, the king who trusts in money instead of the living God is the motto for that king. Okay, we're coming down to the end almost. Pekahiah, king of Israel. These names are killing me. In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, son of Menahem, became king of Israel and Samaria. And he reigned two years. Pekahiah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he caused Israel to commit. One of his chief pals, officer Pekah, son of Ramaliah, conspired against him, taking 50 guys from Gilead with him. He assassinated the king, along with Argob and Arieh, in the citadel of the royal palace at Samaria. So Pekah killed Pekahiah and succeeded him as king. I know. It's, 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 sounds like a comedy routine, but they... 26, the other events of Pekahiah's reign and all that he did, aren't they written in the annals of the kings of Israel? Now, when I first saw Pekahiah and Pekah, I thought, well, this must be a son. But it's not. It just happens to be a similar name. Now, here's what happened to the sixth king on the list. He was killed by a close friend, probably his bodyguard. So he's a short study. All it says about him is really he was a loser like all the kings before him. And when I say loser, I mean he's losing out. He's forfeiting the grace that could be his. And that makes you a loser in a technical sense. And so uh, no moral backbone. You know what's killing me about these verses? All it would take is one person to turn. It just says he didn't turn. Watch how hard that is to do, okay? Oh, that was so hard. I turned, all right? Let me, let me do it to this way. Whoa, that was so hard. That The horror of hell and the horror of ruining your life is that not doing that is so easy. It's so easy just to turn to God and trust and just to say, I'm a sinner. What am I doing? I'm sorry. I bow before you. Done. Done. And you could have been reading a different kind of chapter there. Just so sad. And so 
Here, he's a short study. He, his bodyguard turns on him. And, uh, uh, there's just desperation here and murders him and takes his seat on a stolen throne. All right. And finally tonight, our seventh guy on the list here, Pekah, king of Israel, verse 27 to the end. And this will be the last guy. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the assassin, son of Ramaliah, became king of Israel and Samaria. And he reigned 22 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. That poor dude. <laughs> Nebat, Nebat. Oh, I don't want to be Nebat. Which he had caused Israel to commit. In the time of Pekah, king of Israel, here's the end of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, a.k.a. Poking, the, the Assyrian king who was bribed, came and took Ejon, Abel-Beth-Makkah, Genoa, Kadesh, and Hazor. He took Gilead and Galilee, including all the land of Naphtali, and deported the people to Assyria. Then Hoshea, son of Elah, conspired against Pekah, son of Ramalia. He attacked and assassinated him, and then succeeded him as king in the 20th year of Jotham. Um, as for the other events of Pekah's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Israel? So we're going to pause there because uh, we're going to continue with Judah. The rest of the book of 2 Kings has to do with Judah and nine more kings. There are nine kings. That's it. That's what we have before we go to the book of Ezra, right? But here we stop here, and here's the first installment of the captivity or the exile because what's going to happen is this guy kills this guy, Hosea wants to be king, even though he's waving goodbye to everybody. You know what's left there? 40 miles by 30 miles. That's what's left after the king comes back and says, hey, I spent the 37 tons. I built a new house. My wife got some presents. You know, we'd like now 50 tons of silver to go away. And apparently this dude says, no can do. And what happens? So he takes them all. He starts to take the Jews out and away, and they are taken away, right? This dude says, hey, hold on. I'll be your puppet king. I'll stay behind with the 40 miles by 30 miles that's left, that's still standing. That's Israel. It's 40 miles by 30 miles. Everything else is gone in the north. He says, I'll, I'll be here for you. And he is, and we're going to read about him later. But for all intents and purposes, uh, it's over. There's just 10 years. 10 years, he's going to come back. We're going to read about it. And he's going to take the 40 miles by 30 miles. This guy was left in charge as a puppet king. Uh, he's called a vassal king that just collects taxes and passes it on to the Assyrians, right? So he was kind of in charge, and he was happy. Like, hey, you know? We lost all of Israel, but I still got my throne, and I killed the guy to get it. But in 10 years, uh, he's not going to pay up the taxes. And the king of Israel, who got the 37 tons of uh, king of Assyria, is going to come back in and going to say, where's my money? And he's going to do away with him. Done. Done. That's chapter 17. And then we go to the south in Judah. Now, I want to close on, on something uh, positive. <laughs> uh, the moral of the story. I want to show you the scripture that most of you know by heart, but you don't know the context of it. These guys are, hold on, hold on, back up. These guys are gone. We're going to work our way through the nine guys here. Some are good, some are bad, but mostly bad because they end up goodbye, right? So now it's 586, Israel, north and south, destroyed. 
no Jews left to speak of. And there's a prophet called Jeremiah in his 29th chapter, starting at verse 10. He says to them right here, the truth is that you'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a hope and a future. In those days when you pray, I'll listen. If you look for me in earnest, you'll find me when you seek me. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Jeremiah, as he's waving goodbye to all of Israel that forfeit the promised land after hundreds of years of God's patience, as they're being hauled off, he's saying, God is saying, don't lose hope. He's going to bring some of you back. And he's going to rebuild through Ezra, through Nehemiah, so that there can be a Christmas <laughs> and faithfulness to God's promises. Here's the moral of all the stories that we've read. Number one, you can be a good guy or a good woman in a wicked environment because we have a few of them who are good. Number two, what I've taken from this study, God keeps his promises, the negatives and the positive ones. Number three, God's very long-suffering with his people, uh, but his patient, patience has limits. And I want to just divide one thing in your mind. God's salvation is unconditional. You cannot lose that because you could not earn it. It's a free gift. Reward and enjoyment of your Christian life has conditions. But even though you may wind up in heaven because God will keep his covenant to you, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And when he says never, it means never. Even if I, yeah, even if, because he said never. In the Greek, you know what never means? Never. <laughs> Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's unconditional. What is conditional is joying the rest and living the abundant life that God has for you. That's conditional on your obedience and listening and cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And so that's more than anything else. That's what we see here tonight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us through some tough chapters and texts and foreign names and ideas. But Lord, yet your spirit is speaking life to us, warning us, helping us, because you're a good God and you want us to be blessed. So we're going to learn from their examples, Lord. And we're going to just walk with you and yield our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.